This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome, everybody, into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett, Salt City Hoops writer extraordinaire, and newly of, on the Basketball Insiders crew. So congratulations on that, Ben. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to join up with those guys. I think they actually uh, I think they had Steve uh, Kyler earlier on the uh, show before us, Bill and OC. Uh, yeah, another uh, Basketball Insiders guy. So mm-hmm. it's cool that you're joining that esteemed group of, of basketball writers. Yeah. yeah. You, you are indeed the insider. Um, or a insider, let's put it that way. Uh, that's a far too kind of a term, but uh, but okay. Um, and, and it's good that you are. And uh, I mean, I guess I can claim insider status for myself. Yeah, you're you're more of an insider than I. <laughs> except that I now write for a site that has insider in the name. Exactly. <laughs> you're you're a capital I insider. Yeah. Um. So we're less than two weeks away from the NBA trade trade deadline and there's a lot to talk about as a result the jazz have a lot of interesting decisions to make uh regarding whether or not they're going to be making a move here you know in the next two weeks and and really like the the i don't want to say the future of the franchise is at stake but it kind of is the future of the franchise is at stake every move you make when you're at the current point the jazz are in their developmental trajectory really has a large impact on the future of your franchise you know Cantor, for example, he's got a guy we're going to talk about a ton here in the next couple hours, is only one player, but what happens with that one player is going to have ramifications all over the place in terms of what happens long term for the franchise. So I don't think it's a stretch at all to say not just this trade deadline, but this trade deadline and this upcoming offseason as well absolutely are going to shape the future of the franchise. Right, because if you you sign someone now, then you can't use the salary cap money later in the Mm offseason. Maybe you don't sign a free agent later. Maybe you uh, handicap yourself a little bit later on down the road. I mean, uh, these changes, these decisions made now absolutely are important for the rest of the um, the Jazz's rebuilding process. So yeah. it's important we'll talk about them. Go ahead and since we'll be talking about trades, I, I want to know what you guys think. So give us a call, 877-353-0700 if you guys think, uh, have any opinions on either Ennis Cantor, Trey Burke, any of the rest of the Jazz man getting traded. If you've got trade ideas, we'd love to hear them. You can also tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. And, and also actually go, uh, go to Salt City Hoops and check out a piece published today by Dan Clayton. It's kind of just a bit of a primer in terms of here's who can be traded, here's who can't. There's a couple guys that are, it's either really insanely difficult or basically impossible for them to be traded. Uh, there's a couple guys where you'd have to have some salary considerations and things like that. Like if we were, if they were to want to trade Alec Burks, which they won't, but if they were to, there would be some considerations yeah. there with the salary. Um, so yeah, there's uh, definitely go check that piece out. As usual, Dan being our uh, resident uh, cap expert here at salt city hoops if you will and um, indeed we'll have we'll have him on the show in the eight o'clock hours so. that is correct that'll be good um and so yeah I, I i mean i don't want that to be the prerequisite i want the also unfiltered ideas of jazz fans out there so give us a call or tweet if you if you have any good ideas and we'll let you know what we think of your of your crazy schemes as always we have the crazy trade idea of the week but this week you know this is this is a crazy trade idea of show basically yeah we have many tra- crazy trades of the week some of which in reality actually might not be all that crazy at least compared to our usual level of craziness <laughs> that we sometimes pull up for these trades good less crazy than usual yeah it's a good sign yeah 
Okay, so let's jump into it, right? Yeah. Now, I think, Andy, first you wanted to go a little bit into some of the, the really basic trade rules. You can't just swap any player for any player with no cap consequences, no money involved, all that. Why don't you just run us through this, the super basics there for those who aren't kind of in tune with that? Yeah, so the idea is that you basically have to stay salary for salary, right? So if you're, if you're trading away a certain amount of salary, you have to get approximately that amount of salary back. In the Jazz's case, because they are under the salary cap, they can basically trade for a player equaling the amount of salaries they go out plus or minus about $5 million or so. Okay, so that's um, more flex than most teams have. Yeah, it is, because the Jazz are one of only a few NBA teams that are underneath the salary cap. And that's also true if you use this 150% rule, which is, uh, again, it ends up being about $5 million on either side um, to give you play on trading these contracts. And, and so it, it depends who you trade. If, if you're unsure about an idea, you can always call in or tweet in, and we'll let you know if it's you know, feasible under the NBA's collective bargaining agreement. But there are rules we have to play by. Um, but given, despite that, there's still lots of room to, to mm -hmm. be creative with it, which is actually a lot of fun. And you know, we get to play general manager a little bit. It's really fun for me because I'll never get to be an NBA general <laughs> manager, so it's the closest I can come. And you, you talk about kind of these rules, and there really is a decent amount of flex if you you know if you really want a deal to happen. There are ways that you can go about, you know, dumping salary and or including little bits of cash uh, considerations. There are trade exceptions that teams will have, although I don't, the Jazz don't have any trade exceptions currently in their arsenal, do they? So. I don't think they do. So, but that said, other teams might, and that be, if the Jazz are sending some salary, that might be something another team was interested in. Right. You never know. So there are these like little quirky rules, but I mean, really, it's, it's quirky enough that like you should either just send it in or go to the ESPN trade machine and yeah, check it out. Try it on the trade machine first, or even just shoot us a link to the actual <laughs> trade in your trade machine. That people We've do that to those. me all the time. It's great. Yeah. yeah. They're a lot of fun. All right. Let's, so. Yeah. Let's get into it. So Ennis Cantor. I think is is the main guy jazz fans and really the jazz themselves are considering trading and there are a lot of reasons why the biggest one is that he is a free agent at the end of the summer a, a restricted free agent uh -huh. so what that means is any team can match any oh, sorry the jazz can match the offer that any team gives him in free agency and choose to keep him if they so choose now the question is is do you want Ennis Cantor on this team long term because if you do, then you know you probably don't make a trade now. You probably just go through to restricted free agency, match any offer that comes in, and boom, Ennis Cantor is yours for the next you know however many years. years on the offer. Yeah, right. Um, or if you don't want him on the team long term, maybe you think he's not a winning player overall. Maybe you feel that his defensive liabilities outweigh his offensive skills. Then now is probably the time to make a trade. It's the last time because if you don't think you're going to match some offer that he's going to likely get, then you're looking at losing him for nothing. If you don't, if that's what happens, as the you right. know, and this happened not in uh, not in restricted free agency. This was in unrestricted, but the Jazz did lose a couple of big men a few years ago, generally on purpose. The in in Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap, where they essentially chose to let those pieces walk to free salary and to allow Cantor and Favors to step into that starting role. Right, and we have seen this time and time again with the Jazz, and it, it kind of gives us an idea of how they think, is that, you know, cap space itself is an asset to them. Oh, so, yeah. you know, maybe if you let a Millsap go or let an Al Jefferson go, uh, you get the cap space back that you can use to get some sort of return. 
Uh, that being said, maybe they've done that a little bit too much. You know, there are people who argue that they didn't get enough in return for the $24 million in cap space that they used to acquire Richard Jefferson and Andres Biedrich a year ago. Um, and then you also have to look at things like Wesley Matthews going to Portland. That's somewhere where cap space probably could have been used more effectively, um, as well as, you know, maybe you look at Kyle Korver, Damari Carroll, those guys, you know, would have helped the Jazz be a better team this season. There's basically, no everybody, everybody in the Hawks, basically. <laughs> Everyone on the Hawks that used to be on the Jazz was yeah. in this situation. And so maybe you know it's time to get something back for those free agents before they just leave without any sort of return. Yeah. If, again, that's what you think is going to happen. If you think you know, you've, you've talked to, you've gauged the rest of the league, you think somebody's going to maybe give Cantor you know, a three-year, $11 million a year deal, something like that, and you aren't prepared to match that in-house, then I think absolutely you do have to start looking for some trades for him. My first question before we get into maybe some potentials of, of what you might want in return, what you may be willing to send with him, because it might not just be sending him. There might be other stuff. The other thing with this, by the way, before we get into it, guys, is that the 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 Jazz, as Dan wrote in his article and we will discuss with us later as well, the Jazz have a plethora of draft pick assets. The Jazz have 15 picks over the next four years, wow. which is each team gets two picks per year, generally, their first and their second round pick. The Jazz have, I believe, seven extra second round picks and one extra first round pick, if I'm not mistaken. And that first round pick is 2017 from Golden State, Correct. and the second rounders are sprinkled all throughout the next few drafts. And at some point, I mean, the Jazz, with as young as they even are right now, there's no chance that they're making 15 draft picks over the next four years. There's no chance they're making even close to that many. So you assume that those pieces are going to be turned around for an asset at some point, and those have to be part of the calculation as well, is that I think... And the, the the common question is, when, at what point in the trajectory do you start to be willing to cash some of those assets in? My personal opinion, for those who care, is... We care. This, we, yeah. Yeah, hey, I'm on the radio, so somebody cares. <laughs> uh, is now. Now and this summer, I believe, are the times to at least begin that process. A lot of my reasoning is that the timetable for the, for the Jazz to start winning, I think, is quicker than people think. Gordon Hayward, for example, as I said recently, is only under contract... This year, next year, and the year after. Guaranteed. He has a player option the following year, but given the way the TV money is skyrocketing and the he's way gonna he's played, out, he's going to opt out, and he's going to look for a new contract, meaning that the year after next is his final year for sure under contract. And if you're looking at next year, you know, let's say the Jazz underachieve and don't compete for the, a playoff spot in the West and are maybe a little better than they are this year, but not much— all of a sudden, you're looking at only one more year of Gordon. He's never been on a team that's been really actually a, a real contender. And the guy's really competitive. Everybody talks about it. And you got favors the year after that. And all of a sudden, you're up against it with guys who are going to eventually be hitting unrestricted free agency and can bolt if you're not do, you know, doing the right amount of winning. So I think that the time has approached and may even be here now for cashing in some of these pieces. So I just kind of wanted to start with that yeah no that's that's a big question is and this is kind of overriding everything is at what point do you go all in and use all of your assets and start trying to turn that into wins because honestly if you do it too soon and say yeah we're going to be spending money on uh you know maybe brandon knight and ns canter let's i'm just making up the, those players are both restricted free agents this offseason well, then that's your team for the next four years, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys are under contract for at least the next two in Hayward's case and then after next season. And then, you know, in the case of Derek Favors and Alec Burks, even beyond that. So you're not, you don't have any free agent wiggle room if you sign those guys to long term deals. That's, mm -hmm. that's your team. And then you have to ask if a core of, say, again, 
Exum, Favors, uh, Brandon Knight, Cantor, Gordon Hayward is good enough to win an NBA title. Mm -hmm. So uh, you lose a lot of the flexibility. You lose a lot of the kind of upside almost in terms of what you can do with the space. So you better be sure, basically, is what we're saying. (laughs) If you're going to make those that kind of a committed deal, and my personal preference is taking a run at one of several marquee free agents this upcoming summer, uh, Paul Millsap included, but we can get that's that's for another time. Uh, Now, Cantor, first of all, what would you be comfortable matching in restricted free agency, I think is an important question. Mm-hmm. Because if that number goes high enough, then you're probably not considering trading him. Because I don't think he's really going to take offers larger than 10, 11 ish million a year. I don't Although know. I, I could be totally wrong, as we say I, all I the think time. I might be totally wrong. It, it only takes one <laughs> expletive, only takes one expletive deleted, as, and, and we all know that, and there's 29 other teams in the league. And Look, there are almost, there are 15 teams this season who could give a max offer to somebody. And that being said, I, you know there aren't 15 max guys out there. No, there aren't. And I'm not. I'm not saying that Enes Kanter is going to get a max deal. I don't think he will. But if you look at a 23 year old player with his level of production, his level of scoring and rebounding, those are those are the sexy stats, right? Yeah. Uh, and you look at his upside. Every coach thinks that they can fix a player like Enes Kanter, mm-hmm. put him as part of a, a system that works. And quite frankly, some of them have. You know, we we have seen this sort of player turn into a winning sort of player. I mean, Zach Randolph, who we saw last night, is a good example. Who everyone said was a loser for a long time, didn't have the defense, and, and then you know put him in the right situation in Memphis, and it, and it worked out. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Enes Kanter is Zach Randolph. There are a lot of differences there, but. You know, there are coaches who think that they can fix players. There are going to be teams that think that Ennis Cantor will work perfectly in their system. And quite frankly, some teams just going to get him to add the extra talent. Uh, I honestly think 10, 11, 12 million dollars per year, we could see offers go that high. I th- you could be right, and, and as we're saying, this summer is the summer to overpay a guy if you're going to overpay somebody because the following summer is when that cap goes way up and an overpay from this summer looks a little more reasonable all of a sudden when it's a smaller percentage of your cap under a, a cap that literally may rise close to like 30% or something like that. In yeah, one year. I mean, so with this TV money, we could see a salary cap right now. It's at about $65 million. We could see it go up to $100 million mm-hmm. in, in two seasons or less. Yeah. I mean... That with how much money the $24 billion NBA TV contract, we could really see that grow uh, to, uh, you know, numbers that seem crazy to us now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think you're, you may be right that we may see a larger R. So, so to get to the crux of it, what would, <laughs> what would you match? Years and total money. Not very high. I mean, I, I am on the kind of the advanced analytics side here where I say that the scoring and rebounding isn't enough. In the end, the scoring's not all that efficient. Uh, the rebounding's good, but not great. It gives you some nice offensive possessions, but ultimately he still hasn't proven that he can be an average defender yet. Or even or really close. Even really close. And so there hasn't been a season, there hasn't been really a stretch of a season where he's been a positive player on the floor, um, you know, even for like a month at a time. Even yeah. in this January when he played really well, he still wasn't a positive on-court player when you look at when you look at the kind of plus-minus stats, the adjusted plus-minus. Mm-hmm. Some of that's because Rudy Gobert played really well behind him, don't get us wrong, but quite frankly... Rudy Gobert is going to be there. You know that's yeah. that's going to be that's going to be the problem for the next 
two to four to six yeah. years, no matter what. If you so, re-sign Cantor, that's not that problem is not going away anytime soon. Right. So ultimately, I'm not willing to match that much. I mean, I I think he, you know, I probably match like a six to eight million dollar a year offer, but. Anything above that, I want to go and see what else I can use that money on. Maybe give it to a Damari Carroll. Maybe give it to a Wes Matthews. Maybe give it to someone like that who, quite frankly, has shown that he makes a team better on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I, I definitely see your logic now. I do think we've discussed previously, and we've discussed this with Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders as well, the the potential of the qualifying offer, which is that the that he could accept a one-year offer. It would be right around $7.8 million for the one year. And then, the, by the way, which makes him untradeable the following year without his consent. Right. So it he's going to be on the team next year if you do that. And at that point, after next year, he becomes an unrestricted free agent rather than a restricted free agent, which to Cantor might be slightly appealing. I'm not sure how appealing it would be to the Jazz, and that's the, that's the point that you're making that I think is probably correct. But I don't think it's that appealing to Cantor either. I, I, I just think that he will be able to do significantly better than one year $7.5 million, which is the amount of that guarantee. That- qualifying definitely offer. and the point the only point i was getting to there is that i don't you said you might be willing to match six to eight something like that for a multi-year offer i just don't know that he gets those offers because like if somebody offered him two years 14 million or something or two years 15 16 million something like that i don't know that he wants that. yeah okay i don't i, I think in that point. case i think he might rather have the qualifying if that's the best he can do but from another it's team. not the best like he's gonna he's gonna get at least he's a 23 year old guy right so he's gonna get at least a three-year deal probably a four-year okay okay i don't think there's any question i mean teams are gonna want to give a young guy a long-term deal and, and you know Hope that it works out in the long term. Yeah. Oh, any team that's throwing a big number at Cantor is going to do it for four years because right. the, uh, the same thing with the salary cap. They know that if he pays off and if they can sort of fix some of the warts that they've seen with him, like we're talking about, then all of a sudden you have a player three years down the line who under a new massive salary cap is act- could actually be a bargain. So it's it's not a two-year 14 14- million dollar deal that we're talking about it's it's like a 428 and again i think that's the minimum i think that's like best best case scenario and ultimately all it takes is one team to who has a lot of salary cap space and as i mentioned there are a lot of them mm-hmm. to decide that he's worth more of that yeah you know what you, you could be entirely right and and i think that does lend itself to the conversations we're going to have throughout this episode today <laughs> of we're already having some them. potential trades now should we go into a couple potentials for him, or should we talk about Trey Burke and do? Let's those talk in a about little? Trey Burke a l- really quick, and then we'll we'll get into the crazy trade ideas later in the show. Okay, perfect. So Trey Burke, I think the trading of Trey Burke is exponentially more unlikely than Cantor, right? which I think isn't isn't news to anybody. That's that's, uh, but. I don't think it's impossible, do you? I don't think so either. I mean, I, I do think that the Jazz would need to get a point card back in return because yeah. Dante Axum right now looks like a 19-year-old octopus. Yeah. I mean, he... <laughs> That's a good... I, I like that. That's he, not so bad. Yeah, he looks like he's slipping out there. Like, there's just no basketball talent, really, that I like. He's he's a good defender. He's got long arms, and he's got good speed, I mean, and that's, about that's it, right, it now. right now. Yeah, he's, that's, he's really been so struggling. So you can't have him play really significant minutes without a capable NBA backup point guard. You can't just sign a 10-day and say, okay, Dante, you and 10-day, dude, you know, Nate Walters, someone like that. Yeah. It's not going to work out. No. So you need someone in return. Now, that being said, I, I, I think Trey Burke might have more trade value than Ennis Cantor does. Oh, Because does. Trey Burke has two and a half more years on his contract, and mm-hmm. Ennis Cantor has yep. two months. Absolutely. 
and that 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 sort of cost controlled value for a player uh, once again if you've got a coach that thinks he can do a better job than Utah's development developing team has done then yeah that's a that's makes him way more desirable than a guy like Cantor who Cantor next year is going to be getting paid bigger money whereas Burks got two more two this year and the rest of two more years very well cost controlled and that's a big deal is being able to have potential bargains on you know moneyball style where you find little bargains for the amount that you are, right. are paying and at the very least i think we can agree that like trey burke is a backup point guard yeah you know, and at so worst. Yeah. you know you're paying him two and a half million dollars a year it's it's okay if he's what he is you know he's not hurting you financially by being a backup point guard and making two and a half million dollars a year he's at least making his money's worth yeah. the question becomes whether next year, if you know, let's say you subscribe to my theory that next year needs to be the really strong push for a playoff spot in the West, which mm. I true I believe that firmly. If that's the case, and if you believe that his ceiling is only as a backup point guard, and you believe that Exum isn't there yet, which I think there's a lot of evidence supporting that he's just not there yet and may not be there by by October next year, yeah. then maybe you do consider a move for Burke that's gonna where you maybe give up another maybe you include Cantor in there as well maybe you include one of the treasure trove of P- of picks that the Jazz have got going for them and you try and bring back a bit of an upgrade at the point guard position what is do you that, think like I mean just to throw out some names like a, like a Brandon Knight Brandon like Knight's a, on the list Jose um, Calderon Calderon uh, would be a part-time type of thing I don't know that he's I don't know how much of an upgrade he is on, but his shooting is an upgrade. He on hasn't Burke. been this season. He's played pretty poorly for yeah, the Knicks. So it's a question of is that age-related regression or is Knicks-related regression? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is it just that he's in a terrible situation with Derek Fisher as his coach? Yeah. So that depends or, on your opinion of him. There could be a couple other guys in the conversation. Yeah, Reggie Jackson is another interesting one who I'm we talked about last week. I don't like Reggie Jackson. I don't. I, I think if you're bringing somebody back, it's got to be somebody who definitely is a better shooter than Trey Burke. Okay. And there's no evidence to me. In fact, I think Reggie Jackson is almost for sure a worse shooter than Trey Burke is what we've seen so Fair. far. And to me, his the, the, he is a better defender than Trey Burke by a good bit. A lot. But I don't know that that quite makes up for it in terms of what I'm looking for. Because I think shooting is the number one need for the Jazz in terms of things you're bringing back. And a couple of my crazy trade ideas that I – some of them are straight from Real GM. And then a couple are ones I tweaked from, from <laughs> ideas that okay. people had on Real GM. Mine are generally to bring back at least one guy that can shoot the ball pretty well I've, I've got some good ideas from fans who have emailed into salt city hoops over the last week too okay. so um the other thing i want to ask and we've only got a couple minutes left in the segment but there are also other kinds of trades that could happen mm-hmm. besides just ennis and trey so oh, absolutely um a couple different ideas here one steve novak for example is mm-hmm. making 3.75 million dollars next season they could the jazz could trade him away and throw in a second round pick and basically get that cap space so they can spend it on a free agent this summer. Yeah. Basically give them more money towards signing a maximum player like like a Kawhi Leonard, like a Paul Millsap, like a Draymond Green. Guys who are going to get a lot of money this summer. Yeah. Um, I think Booker's sort of in the same. Booker's obviously a more valuable current player right now. Booker, he, though, has the unguaranteed contract, mm-hmm. so there's no reason to trade him. Now. That's Yeah, that's very... In terms of clearing cap, it's not. But in terms of if you were trying to bring a real asset back, that's actually pretty valuable, having that unguaranteed salary okay. for another team so that they can... If they're trying to clear cap space either this year or next, that they have that option. Mm-hmm. So he's on, I suppose on the list at least and especially yeah. he's kind of he's taken the fourth big role lately they've they've increased Gobert's playing time and it's been Booker's yeah. really only been getting fringe rotation minutes lately yeah like you know you wouldn't feel awful about not having Booker and putting Jeremy Evans in there for 15 minutes a game yeah. and then you know that that doesn't kill you this season 
and ultimately if it helps you enough long term it might work out exactly the other sort of trade that they might make is that with this four four point three million dollars that they have to mess around with this this cap space, they could take on somebody's contract, somebody else's Steve Novak, basically, yeah. and and get a an asset in return. <laughs> Kendrick Perkins, mm, sorry. Well, I Kendrick coughed. Perkins has a really big contract, so you'd have to do something like Kendrick Perkins for Trevor Booker. And then, you know, you better be getting a lot in return because yeah. that's a significant talent upgrade. That's a significant cost, cost upgrade. You better be getting maybe even more than Oklahoma City's first because, you know, uh, Oklahoma City first may be 22nd or so in this year's draft. Yeah, and I actually, I'm going to be honest, I, I talked with a, a couple Oklahoma City uh, friends of mine, uh, writers and whatnot, and I, based on what it looks like would be available from them, I don't know that too many deals involving them would really work for what the Jazz are kind of looking for. The pieces that might work for them would be a Lamb, a Jeremy Lamb, or yeah. a or a, a Perry Jones the third. I, I just don't know how well either of those necessarily fit in, and I don't, as I said before, I don't want Reggie Jackson. They've already traded their first-round pick from this year, so they don't have that to trade. I wouldn't personally be a huge fan of too many Oklahoma City trades, but what you're saying is correct. There are albatrosses out there. I'll give you one other name that uh, Oklahoma City has that the Jazz might like, and that's Alex Abrinas, um, okay, who is yeah, an yeah. overseas guy, um, currently plays for FC Barcelona in Spain, and has been doing really well. He's a was the 32 pick in the 2013 NBA draft. He's one of those guys who could come over right away and could make a difference. Again, it's not like a superstar or anything, but he's a young player who the Jazz could you know maybe get as an asset in, the, yeah, in a deal like that. Definitely, and those types of things where the Jazz take on a little unexpiring salary from a team that really wants to shed some cap space, those are our options as well. I think. Uh, real quick, I'm just going to read. We had a, a tweet from James Hansen asking, "What do the Jazz need to do to get Stauskas or McLemore?" So that Nick Stauskas or Ben McLemore from Sacramento. One of the uh, crazy trade ideas that I thought up that we're going to do near the end of the hour actually has Stauskas in it. So, James, just wait a little bit and we're going to get to that. Good. Uh, No, I'm excited. I I want... I, and I like how James spelled Macklemore because, you know, we need yeah. to... His <laughs> name really should be spelled like the rappers. There's yeah, no it question. it definitely should be, no question. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. But on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit more about this Trey Burke-Dante Exum issue. And in particular, Dante Exum's been starting for the last seven games. We're going to talk about how he's been doing in that starting role, talk about Trey Burke, how he's been doing on the bench, whether those guys should stay in those same roles or whether we should make a trade. A uh, lot of questions regarding the point guard situation with the Jazz. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Doust on the other other side of the table. As always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett over there. Uh, Or you can always call us at 877-353-0700. So, uh... We're going to take a little bit of a break from the trade discussions, and, and honestly, let's be let's be real. It's going to creep in there a little. It bit. will. It definitely will. But Dante Exum and Trey Burke continues to be the most interesting roster question this team has because you know at some point this this roster is a little bit settled at every other position, right? You, you know, you know, you've got favors. I guess the Gobert and Cantor thing is a really big question. Gordon Hayward's going to be your wing player. Alec Burks, once he becomes healthy, is going to be your shooting guard. And, and you know, maybe there's a question about whether he's best as a as a sixth man or a starting shooting guard. But you know, you've got quality talent at every position besides this point guard. But you've got two great young players who mm-hmm. who could develop, um, and that's Dante Exum and Trey Burke. That being said, while they have a lot of potential, 
they have not shown it thus far, especially Dante Exum. Uh, Dante Exum, so far this year, has put up just not pretty numbers. Uh, Very not pretty. <laughs> thank you for, for being kind. Yeah. Uh, 6.6 PER. He's shooting less than 40% shooting. Sorry, 36% from the field, so Ugh. that's not good. He's not assisting. He's only getting two assists per game. Um, there's really nothing that he's good at right now on the offensive end on the defensive end though his his length and quickness helps um and is actually just kind of stands in stark contrast to trey burke's defense which is pretty awful um yep. i mean it's, it's it's getting better and actually has gotten a lot better since i think quinn snyder got his attention with this move to the bench mm-hmm. uh but on the other hand trey burke is like a capable offensive player it's has putting it's putting up a 12.6 pr which actually exactly equals his total from last season uh shooting 38 percent has scored more than 15 points in the last few games um you know it's doing some nice things on the offensive end so and is also, as a side note, assisting more. You're looking at 5.4 assists per game rather than, uh, sorry, 4.8 assists per game rather than uh, Dante Exum's two. So you've got a lot of questions here. First of all, do you agree with the move to put Dante in the starting lineup, even if he's playing this poorly? Um, I I am of a very similar mind of Quinn Snyder, who we're going to play a quota here's his here in just a little bit. That I don't, especially in the context of the Jazz's current team, I don't think that who physically begins the game and and, and is uh, the first and third quarters that is is necessarily the most important thing we've seen as Dante has struggled in some of these games recently. That Trey's gotten more minutes than him in some of these games anyway, which, and a lot of them have been some of the more vital minutes, like minutes right at the end, closing games and things like that. And with that in mind, I don't mind the move. I don't, I definitely don't mind kind of giving both guys a little bit of a jolt in a sense, given, you know, we, you already mentioned it for Trey, but I think this does it for Dante too. It, it's kind of a bit of a, like, hey, you know, these are the guys we expect you to be playing against and starting against for a long, long time here for our franchise. This is why we drafted you as highly as we did, so on and so forth. And I, I think that's a real thing is to kind of get it, get as early as possible to show him th- this is the level of competition that you're expected to go against. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it's nice for his development. I also think that Quinn Snyder is smart enough to say, you know, and we've seen it in the last couple of games, that if Dante Exum's not playing well, he's out by the nine-minute mark mm-hmm. of the third quarter. You know, he's out very, very quickly. He lasted two and a half minutes last night in the third quarter after he made several mistakes right in a row, kind of in the at the start of that quarter. One, a couple offensive and a couple defensive, a couple on both sides. I was really worried. To, to be honest, I know it's only a one-game sample, but I was really worried about what Dante looked like last night hmm. because his offensive struggles are one thing, and we've almost kind of accepted that that's what's happening right now, and that right. certainly we hope he can break out of it. But that's that's been the reality for a little while. I thought last night it was his worst night defensively since he's been on the team, probably. He was... The Grizzlies are great. They do a lot of really smart stuff on their offense, but... He was so confused. He was watching the ball a lot. He lost Conley for some threes a couple of times. I I was really kind of worried by that. I'm hoping that it was just a one-game aberration. He maybe was tired from the night before, that type of thing, and then he gets back on the defensive horse at least. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good point. He had five fouls last night and yeah. kind of showed you when he was a step behind um, what that means for a rookie. It, it means you end up taking stupid fouls. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and play that Quinn Snyder quote if we've got it uh, from Trey Burke and uh, sorry that's from Quinn Snyder about what it means for Trey Burke to be starting compared to Dante Exum. You know, th- there's this fixation with the bench and starting, and to me, 
what Trey Burke has embraced is not so much the bench. I, I don't want him to embrace the bench. I don't want him to embrace starting. I want him to do what's best for our team. And if that's coming off the bench, um, yes, he has embraced it. You know, I'm kind of circling around there. But the point is that he's embraced becoming a better player. And what he's done, and he had a good game tonight, what he's done is he's decided to, to, to put even more focus on his defense and emphasis, which really is just his concentration. And I thought he's, he's working and working. You guys don't see some of the stuff that he's doing, you know, in our player development stuff, but he's working on his, his finishes, his floaters. He's working on his passing. And those are the things I think that when you add to his ability to make some shots, you know, help him get better. And coming off the bench, there's a need for him to shoot, you know, and score. That's kind of what we've talked about. Um, but I think it's the other things that, that I really want to continue to see him improve in. I don't want it, I don't want it to be about the bench for him, you know. I'd like to, if he starts again, I want him to keep getting better too, you know. Sorry, did we lose the mic there for a second? Yeah, I, I really like the kind of the attitude that he's taking there because there may come a time where it matters who's starting and who's not. And I just, I don't think that time is now. And That's I true. think that, the, uh, like he's saying, the far more important thing is that, tra- and really both guys, are trying to improve their game as much as possible regardless of where they're playing because we're looking at a system here for the Jazz with, that is a very, as we talk about literally every week, very Spursian and very team-oriented. This isn't about individuals. This is about what's doing best for the, the what, doing what's best for the team long-term. And... If that's sitting on the bench then and coming off the bench and being a spark plug, that's what he's expected to do. If that's starting the game and playing all the you know playing 35 minutes, that's what he's expected to do. And I think instilling that as early on as possible is can't really be a bad thing, especially while, as we again say all the time, while wins and losses this year are slightly less important than they would be in a standard year. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And, and it's really interesting to me that, Trey Burke, I do think, has made some of those steps since moving to the bench. You know, you see him working. You see him improving on what he's able to do against bench units. You see him making a few jump shots. Uh, And and honestly, he's actually gotten fouled a little bit recently, which is unusual. He had four free throw attempts. He averages two a game. Um, That being said, I haven't seen that development from Dante Exum. If anything, we've seen regression, right? So far, yes. Now, that comes with a huge number of qualifiers and context and whatnot, given his age and all that. But no, it's, I mean, it's certainly not encouraging that we, right. he's, he's <laughs> and, it's, and the, the shooting thing actually also, that he's, it's, he started out the year looking like he was maybe going to surprise some people in terms of that shooting ability, whether it's the whole rookie wall thing that I wrote about a couple of weeks ago, or whether it's just that that was a mirage in the first place. Yeah. That shooting has not been there recently. In fact, it's been really bad. It's weird because since we have so little, evidence on Dante Exum since he was just like this Australian high school point guard kid and and really what we think of him as a good draft prospect comes from about nine games Mm -hmm. that he played at the international level we don't know for sure really that like he's a he's a good player in the end and I know he's only 19 but like in terms of prospects we're less sure about him than most 19 year old prospects coming into the league absolutely the level of 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 certainty about his his career arc is probably as low as almost any other player that's ever come into the league yeah really it's it's very very low even Ennis Cantor we knew more about coming oh, yeah. into the Jazz absolutely. Than, he had than a lot Dante more high level experience than Dante did coming in and and you know it's it's definitely a real concern 
turn. But that, I mean, of course, there's no consideration being given to, to giving up on the guy or anything like that. Whereas with Trey, with the, the, the trade conversations and things like that, there is at least some consideration by, by certain segments of the market being given to that. Now, my personal thought is that unless you're getting blown away and unless you are actually bringing back a point guard who is an upgrade as a shooter, that I, I'm not the hugest fan. Let me ask, what do you think Trey's upside is? What's his ceiling? I mean, an extremely light Mike Conley. And uh, note that uh, I see, said extremely I, light. I don't think he can ever play defense as well as Mike Conley does. Well, no, not uh, as well. And quite frankly, I don't think he can ever shoot as well as Mike Conley does, who has turned out to be a really good shooter. I think the the shooting part I might dis not that I think he's necessarily going to shoot that well, but it, whether it's in the realm of possibility, I don't know that I, I do think it is within the realm of possibility that he could be that good of a shooter eventually. Okay, no, uh, that's fair. Uh, and then I also think that Trey's uh, not as good of an athlete as Mike Conley is. That I will agree with, and he's not quite as tall. He doesn't have the size that's going to help him for def- defensively. Right. So I almost see him like best case as like a a prime Steve Blake, like that, you know, decent shooter, decent defender, kind of small point guard, but like ultimately Steve Blake is not someone you're crying over if if he yeah. turns out Lou to Williams. Be, Lou Williams is too fast. That's He's a true. nice little fast scoring guard. Like yeah. I, I'm not even necessarily talking style. I'm just talking about kind of a uh, value value added total and Fair. you know they're similar similar types of players in terms of you can bring Lou off the bench and get some you know make some good stuff happen. He can spark plug some stuff kind of like maybe yeah. we're trying with Trey here a little bit. It's a really interesting conundrum that I didn't. I don't know that Jazz fans thought we'd be here. I thought. I think we had a better idea that we'd maybe have some. Well, I think actually, we'd see. I thought. I think Jazz fans thought we'd see either growth from Trey Burke, which we haven't seen, or a better Dante Exum. Yeah, which and we, we haven't, haven't seen either. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a now. Concern. There's a third possibility that Jazz fans always forget about, and that's Raul Neto. Uh, who James Hansen points out is is a possibility for him to move in. You know, if you trade Trey Burke long term, you bring him in. He's been playing really well in Spain. You know, I don't think you can count on him, but he's someone that you could bring in as another developing point guard for the Jazz. You could. Do, do, would the Jazz remind me? Would they be able to? Do they hold the rights to pretty much say you're coming now and just bring him whenever they want? No. Or so that, that would be a negotiation him? with him yeah. and and his agent. But yeah. that being said, they could do that as soon as this summer. Uh, you know, they could buy out the rest of his Spanish contract and move him over to the NBA, which as a, it's something that they're definitely considering doing. It's just kind of when's the right time to do that? Is it now? Is it in another season when he can still be playing in Spain and getting a lot of minutes? Yeah. Or, you know, there are a lot of things to be decided there. But anyway, let's go ahead and take another break. But on the other side, we want to talk lots of trade ideas. So we, yes. we've got lots of ideas to, to fire through um, with Milwaukee, with Oklahoma City, with uh, Charlotte. I mean, we've, we've got tons of ideas here. You don't want to miss these. Uh, go ahead and tune in on the other side of the break. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. It's time to get down to brass tacks. We're going to use some of your favorite crazy trade ideas on the show. Uh, and let's let's just think about them, see if they make any sense, see if they make sense for both teams, and, yeah, let's, let's have some fun. So the first one is... Uh, uh, and a lot of these involve the Bucks, which, by the way, we're bringing on our Salt City Hoops writer Dakota Schmidt later on in the show uh, to talk about it. Maybe have him act as the Bucks general manager and, and see if some of these make any sense. He lives in Wisconsin, by the way. That's he why, does. That's yeah, why and and writes also for Bucksketball, which is this is a uh, Milwaukee Bucks blog. Definitely. Um, 
So I want to ask you about this Trey Burke for Ennis Cantor. Uh, sorry, Trey Burke, Ennis Cantor, and a 2016 protected first for uh, Chris Middleton and Brandon Knight. Okay. So now, for those who don't know about Chris Middleton and Brandon Knight, Chris Middleton is a – how old is Chris Middleton? I think he's like 22. I think he's so, 23. 23. Yeah. He's, uh, he's one of your – blossoming into one of your prototypical 3 and D type guys in the league. He's shooting, I think, 41% from three this year. He's, he can play some – at least well above average defense. Maybe he's not elite, but he plays good defense on the wing. He's, you know, 6'7", uh, so he's tall enough to guard multiple positions there. And the that combination, I think, is something that the Jazz need. They could use a 3 and D type guy. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Knight, at the point, is also shooting over 40% from 3 this year and would definitely be an upgrade on, on Trey Burke. I, I think, absolutely. Yeah, so, and in return, basically, you're giving them a first in order f- to upgrade from those players. Pretty much. And now, I don't want to give away the first from this year unless you really heavily protect it. I don't, okay. like, unless you were to top yeah. 10 protect it type thing this year, I don't want to do that. But because the assumption in this process is that the Jazz are going to be better next year, I wouldn't mind giving away, and as long as you top three protect it, which I think you always have to do, you have to top three protect the pick next year if you're sending it in case the Jazz are in the lottery again and luck into a top three pick. Can't be sending that. But I, I, with that, I think it is a deal I would absolutely consider. Do you think the Bucks would? I think they would. I think they'd consider it. You know, you get a first round pick. You, you, they don't love Brandon Knight, so I think that makes sense. Um, and then you know, Middleton is a restricted free agent this season, so they, he, you may lose him anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the question there is, do the Jazz do it? And the reason why I think not is, you know, maybe if if you're giving up a 2016 first as well as Trey Burke. You want something long-term back. Yeah, that's the so issue. So both of these guys are restricted free agents. Now, if you pay both of them, and I think that you have to in order to make this deal make sense, then, again, that's that's your cap space used up. That's your money used. That's the next two years of this team are set in stone. Mm-hmm. You've got a Brandon Knight, Chris Middleton, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, Dante Exum core. And is that good enough to be a contending or even a playoff team in the uh, sorry in the West I'm not so sure. I mean, I think that depends it, it w- a lot on what you think of of Brandon Knight specifically. And by the you mentioned by the way, right, that he's that Knight does expire after this year, and yeah, would he's be a restricted, restricted free agent, so, just like Middleton. Yeah. yeah. So uh, again, you have to re-sign both of those guys in order to make the deal worth it. You have to match, yeah. b- basically any offer on those guys. And, and I don't know that the Jazz would. I, I think they probably think to themselves that uh, you know some other guys are better uses of that free agent money, whether that be. You know, like a Paul Millsap, Draymond Green, uh, Wesley Matthews, Danny Green. There are a lot of possibilities yeah. out there. Okay, so, so yeah, that's. I think it's on. That's the part that. Given makes that, it unlikely. do you still do it or no? Um, I you now the the unfortunate part is that you can't really make any sort of yes or no. <sighs> Yeah, I think I would. I, I think I would actually. I think I would because I think if you can commit to the, you can okay. you can get the right. I don't think Middleton's going to take some massive deal. Um, I, I think he's going to be a kind of a middling salary type player. Yeah, five six million a year. I think you can fit that. I I would. I'd have to think hard about it, but I think I'd take that deal. Would you definitely resign Brandon Knight no matter what? Oh yeah, I mean you can't do a deal like that unless okay. you're if you're not planning on resigning him. Okay, let's go to another one. This one also involves Bucks, but it also gets the Blazers in there. And actually, the the ch- players the Jazz get are both Blazers. This is a three-team deal. The the Blazers would get Brandon Knight, the Bucks would get Ennis Cantor and Trey Burke, and the Jazz would get uh, McCollum as well as Leonard Myers Leonard. Okay, so CJ McCollum. Now this is another trade for the Jazz from their perspective that is meant to upgrade the shooting. 
Uh, right. CJ McCollum is shooting over 40% from three this year. And actually, so is Myers Leonard. If I'm, or I think he's like close. I think he's like yeah, 38%. On, on not a ton of attempts, not but, a ton, he's, but he he's can, figured out how to shoot yeah, a three. He's a big who can, at the very least, have enough threat that he can stretch the floor and bring a big away from the paint and things yeah. like that, which the Jazz do need to a point mm-hmm. um, because I, I think the Ennis Cantor three-point experiment has failed. And, and, of course, in this trade, Ennis Cantor is no longer on the team. So. Right. Um, the issue, of course, is as we discussed before, if you are trading Trey Burke— you need you kind of want to be bringing back a point guard, right. and this deal doesn't. McCollum is, a, I suppose, an acceptable secondary ball handler, but he's certainly not a guy that can run your point consistently. It'd be like when they tried having Alec Burks do it a couple of years yeah. ago. It wasn't the best thing in the world. Now, if you really are super, super high on Exum improving, and you really just think that this is mental issues that he's going to get past and so on and so forth, and you think that you can make either another tiny trade to bring in a stopgap and or sign a guy, one of the buyout candidates or somebody like that at the point guard spot to be the other point guard beside Exum, I suppose you could consider it. But not bringing back a a more of a long-term type point guard is the part that worries me about that deal. I also just don't like the deal in terms of the players you're getting back. I I just don't know if I believe in the potential of CJ McCollum and Myers Leonard to be anything more than at best rotation level players yeah and it, it does and so you're would, trading away you know Ennis Cantor I think at least has the potential to be a starter mm-hmm. uh, I and Trey Burke you know you can even argue that maybe point guards develop late in their careers maybe it works out for him but I mean I, I just think that you're giving up good prospects for lower tier prospects very possible it, it depends completely on your opinions of those guys and how they're being used and it does it's too bad that McCollum isn't a little bit more of a of a combo guard who can play more point guard because if he was that would of course if he was the his trade value would be higher and this would be a harder <laughs> right. deal to make but uh I think those are a couple at least interesting concepts right the, the they have at least yeah. the sort of types of things that the jazz would be trying to bring back if they made a trade the, the bucks are fun because they have um they, they do have a need for a a center type player because larry sanders has exploded mm-hmm. um figuratively but regardless and <laughs> almost literally not quite <laughs> and, and so you know you may say that they need a center and a long-term prospect like Ennis Cantor makes a lot of sense and there are a couple other teams that make sense for that too you could say Oklahoma City could use a long-term center um big man kind of to use those minutes as Nick Collison kind of uh, continues his decrease his Regression, I suppose you could say. Um, though Stephen Adams is a good player. Kevin Durant continues burning people on Twitter for uh, insulting the Yeah, that was that was a great moment on on the Twitterverse this week. I I, I think you could also look at Charlotte as a possible mm-hmm. landing place for Ennis Cantor. Basically, you're looking for a team that wants a good young center power forward, mm-hmm. uh, big man really, to to grow and develop with the young team. And in my opinion, at least one of the pieces you're looking for back is a is a shooter type. Somebody yeah. you can who can add to the Jazz's spacing. I think and, that's fair. And, and the Bucks have at least a few of those guys, and that's why they are interesting trade partners. So I guess don't be surprised if you see a move happen there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's something, and again, that's why we're bringing on Dakota later. I've got one other trade for you while we're waiting, and that's um, one that's suggested by our man Dan Clayton, also joining us after the break. Uh, Jose Calderon for Ennis Cantor, but the Jazz also get a pick swap, so they'd basically be able to trade picks with the New York Knicks this summer. Um, you know, so right now the Knicks are, I believe, the second worst team in the league. Uh, the Jazz are right now, I believe, the seventh worst team in the league, and projected to probably do better than that eventually. Like I think, yeah. 
worst draft slot, better end of season record. Like right. I think the Jazz are projected in that eight to eleven range. So they'd be trading down five. They'd be saving money on Jose Calderon, um, and maybe the Jazz give up the their second pick as as some incentive as I th- well. I think to, for the Knicks to even remotely consider that deal, that's what would have the Jazz which would have fine. to add that pick. Which and I'd honestly to do that deal because of how high I am on a couple of guys at the top of this draft, D'Angelo Russell being at the top of that list. I would send more than one pick involved in that deal if I were the Jazz. To, to If we could do that without losing Burke and to bring Cal- – I think Calderon has two years left on his deal. Yeah, it's $7 million each. Which, you know, there are things you can do with that if you don't want him around. If you feel like – I know many are of the opinion that the Jazz would not bring back another starting caliber or even rotation caliber point guard if both Burke and Exum are remaining here. That's very possible, but even if that's the case – there are things you can do there. Yeah. That you can try and offload them to somebody else. You've got all those second-round picks But then for again, reason. you have to give up assets, just like the Knicks are giving up a big asset in exactly. this deal. And I, but I think the Knicks realize how massive of an asset their very likely top three pick is this year and how much larger of an asset it is than the Jazz's 8-11 to 11 pick. I think you'd have to really kind of wet their beaks to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I, I think that is, that's, a, that's a nice dream. But I, I don't know that the Knicks do it. But, you know, maybe Phil's been smoking a little bit too much peyote. And uh, <laughs> we, we see that trade happen for the Utah Jazz this summer. Definitely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, on the other side, like I've referenced, Dan Clayton and Dakota Schmidt joining us from Salt City Hoops. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We are Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. My name's Andy Larson. I'm managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz here in Salt Lake. We've got Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. Now, member of the Basketball Insiders. If you haven't seen their website, check it out because it's, it's cool. It's and you're, you're working with, with a, a lot of cool people over there, too. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, so we've got two guests this segment, and we're, we're kind of going to go through them rapid fire, but we want to get each of their unique point of view uh, on this tra- upcoming trade deadline for the Jazz. The first is our man, Dan Clayton. He's been on the show before, been on the show now, um, but wrote just an awesome piece today about what is possible for the Jazz in this trade deadline and kind of want to get his opinions on what is maybe likely this trade deadline. Dan, are you there? Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, an honor to be with... Uh... Andy, as always, and Ben, who's well on his way to world domination, writing for just about every basketball blog that exists. It's true. Like, how long have you been writing about basketball, Ben? Um, well, honestly, like four and a half years. Yeah. But in terms of at, at known, well-known places, about a year and a half. Dan, how long have you been writing about basketball? <laughs> uh, I guess my first year credentialed was the first post-John and Carl year, so 2003. But you were before that because you were writing for Spanish newspapers as well, right? No, that's when I, that's when I first got credentialed to cover okay. the jazz for Mundo Hispano. Still, that, that's 12 years of basketball writing experience, and, and Ben's, Ben's caught up. I yeah, uh, maybe maybe in ter- maybe in terms of titles. I don't know in terms of uh, actual basketball acumen, but that's a, that's a debate for another day. <laughs> anyway, I, Dan, I, I want to get your perspective on this because you wrote this great piece today on Salt City Hoops uh, that kind of explains what's possible for the Jazz. And, and we've been tra- talking about the, the trade you mentioned, um, or not in this piece, but actually in an email to us, this Jose Calderon uh, pick swap deal. So first of all, do you think that that's likely? And, and what, what do you think happens there? What, what kind of trades are you looking to make if you're the Jazz? 
Yeah, well, that trade specifically, I, the reason I emailed the two of you instead of um, you know sharing that with with the uh, with the world is because I think <laughs> it is kind of a long shot, right? I mean, the the Knicks would honestly be kind of dumb to to do a pick swap down at this stage, and and would probably get mocked mercilessly for it the way that the their crosstown rivals, the Nets, are getting ridiculed for a pick swap that they owe Atlanta. Um, dating back to the Joe Johnson trade. So they're having a rough season and may not make the playoffs and also will have to surrender a good pick. So, you know, I, I think it's probably one of those things where maybe if someone caught uh, James Dolan or Phil Jackson a little punchy after some libations <laughs> at an owner's meeting, maybe it could happen. But really, I think I think that one in particular would be a long shot. But that's the kind of deal I would be looking for if I were the Jazz, just something that enhances the possibility of coming away from either this June or, um, you know, this this trade deadline, this offseason, whatever, with, uh, I guess, one more legit core of a title team type guy. I, I think, as I, as I said in the Q&A piece today, I think the Jazz are probably still short one stud if you think about star power compared to, you know, the real contenders in the West. Yeah, you know, that's we were talking a bunch of hypothetical trades before the break, and that's kind of the one area that we didn't go as far into was that, and of course it's a little bit dicey in terms of the math, and you wonder... You know, let's say the Jazz were able to find a, a you know a, a contending team that that wanted one of the pieces, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into specifics here, but like they wanted a one of Cantor or Trey Burke or somebody like that for a playoff push or for a or for the future, and were willing to send their first round pick this year. Which again, whether you think that's likely or not is another discussion. But if they could pull something like that off. And then you have two first round picks. One is sort of late lottery likely, and the other is maybe late first round, mid to late first round. That plus maybe another asset in the offseason to the right team gets you up into that top five. You could look at one of the one of the guys that you're potentially interested in. D'Angelo Russell's the guy I'm going to always keep coming back to because I'm sort of obsessed. I'm kind of obsessed with the guy. He's going to be really, really good. He's shooting like 46% from three as the only guy on that team who draws any attention from defenders whatsoever, which is completely ridiculous to me. But... um. Dan, the thing that I was was kind of wondering is what do you think would be the price of – do you think that just, you know, let's say the Jazz ended up picking ninth, for example. Do you think if the Jazz picked ninth and then also managed to get themselves the 20, you know, 20 to 23rd or 24th pick somewhere in there, do you think somebody takes just those two for a move up into four or five, or do you think you'd have to attach more on top of it to get up that into that range? Yeah, probably more. I th- so there's an old piece I wrote a while ago about just the history of, of what it takes to move into the top 10 or the top 5, and it's usually pretty pricey. And then the other reality, and actually I wrote about this for today's Q&A and ultimately pulled it because it was already so freaking long, but uh, <laughs> the other thing I wrote about is that a funny thing is happening right now relative to first-round picks in the trade market. The The value seems to be really inflated right now if you mm-hmm. think about some of the other trades or trade rumors we've heard, even late first-round picks are really seem to be overvalued right now. Um, and maybe that'll ease up a little bit as as we head into this higher cap reality, where it might be for a short period of time less important to be really economical with those rookie-scale contracts. But I, but I do think that right now, uh, the way the landscape is set at this moment in the NBA, it's just hard to get to get a hold of some, uh, you, you know, some, first, some extra first-round picks. 
Then the other thing I'd say to that, Ben, is as I as I mentioned in this, you know, the Jazz have fifteen extra. They have fifteen total picks, including their own, in the next four drafts. Um, That's so, a lot. That's a uh, lot. Know, for now, granted, <laughs> there aren't a lot of first round picks in that mix. They have their own first round picks, and then the unprotected Golden State in two thousand seventeen. So, you know, five first-round picks and ten second-round picks. But at a certain point, you wonder, you know, is, is that what they need to do to, conti- you know, continue to add picks to the asset cupboard? Or, or maybe are you looking for a trade partner who says, you know, I'm intrigued enough by a Trey Burke, an Ennis Cantor, even a Rodney Hood or a Trevor Booker who, who gives you some salary flexibility. I'm intrigued enough by these players that, you know, maybe I could maybe I could be okay sacrificing a few spots in the draft, and we'll do a pick swap and and give the Jazz the right to you know. I I, I still think it's a long shot. I think right now first round picks are just real commodities and things that people uh, you're going to have to pry them out of their cold dead hands to get draft picks right now. All right, last question for you um, before we go to Dakota though. I, I, given that those picks are difficult to acquire, are there young players that could fit in the Jazz's core long term? Uh, that would make sense to acquire using Trey Burke and Ennis Cantor and you know maybe whatever other assets you have in in this year's trade deadline. Well, sure. I, although I guess it depends on what we call core, because if we're really talking about someone that you could picture being a starter on a title contending team in the next three to five years, I, I think those are the types of players that teams aren't just going to be dangling for nothing. So you know, I do think you could potentially get a. Um, you know, a guy that's come up a lot because he's he has a, a skill set that's popular the way today's NBA is trending is Chris Middleton because he's a real 3 and D guy with some size and he's having a career year from deep. Um, I, you could probably you could probably get Chris Middleton for the right package or or at least um, you know I think he's doesn't he have pending restricted rights? Yeah, yeah. This, this I think off it's this, this off season. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I mean, you could you could trade for him, get him, have his have his right to first refusal this summer and and then see what happens but but in terms of you know a real transformational piece and that that stud we're talking about finding i really think that if if the jazz can't do that in june they're they're gonna have to go out and spend somewhere and find their david west type guy not david west i i'm you know i'm using david west as a proxy because i think indiana got to a point in their rebuild where they said okay we've We've drafted well. We've put the young pieces in place. Now we need that glue guy who's experienced success, who knows what it takes to win in the NBA, um, and who can help this all congeal a little better. And you go out and get that guy, and then all of a sudden that turns you into a legit contender. So, again, I, I, think, you can, I think you can continue to add nice pieces. Um, I think what the Jazz need to do, if you think about star depth and not just rotation depth, the Jazz need more star depth. I think at some point they're going to have to, you know, swing for the fences and and try to get whether it's a D'Angelo Russell or whether it's you know an existing NBA All Star that that you know you can make a case to in in free agency. Uh, I, I do think that to really contend, the Jazz need Hayward to keep playing like an All Star, Favors to keep playing like an All Star, Exum to start to you know get back on the trajectory towards stardom, and I and I think you probably need you know, someone else that can come deliver that type of, uh, that level of play. Yeah, it makes sense. And th- there are a few of those guys in, in this free agency, most notably Paul Millsap. It'll be interesting to yeah. see if the Jazz 
if the Jazz have a case to make to a player like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably not as hard a sell with Paul because, you know, I, I don't think he would have the same, uh, we've talked before about the stigma, uh, you know, whether or not there's a small market stigma in the NBA and a Utah stigma in particular. And Paul has personal experience to see through some of that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, that's the, like, actually, if you were to, like, let's forget that we all know Paul and love Paul from his long stint in Utah. I think if you were just objectively, as an NBA person, looking out and trying to find a David West-type player, a guy who, you know, when the defense gets tough, you can say, hey, go get me some buckets, and also is a good locker room guy, and also has won a little bit in the NBA. I think, you know, Paul kind of fits the mold of a David West, uh, you know, David West circa 2009 or 2010 or whatever it was. So, you know, that's uh, that's one to keep an eye on for sure. All right, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, as always, check out Dan's work on saltcityhoops.com. Um, yeah, thanks again. And follow him on Twitter thanks, at, at Dan Clayton with a zero instead of the O. Thank you. Yeah. So now, guys, we are going to go to a little bit of a different opinion. Uh, also f- part of the SEH family, we have Dakota Schmidt joining us. Now, Dakota is a Wisconsin resident, which kind of makes him the go-to expert at this point <laughs> for Milwaukee yeah, teams, right? and he writes for the, the Bucks blog as well. So, Correct. you know, he's, he is an expert on the Milwaukee Bucks. And as, as you've noticed, we're doing a lot of trades with these Milwaukee Bucks players. So we're asking Dakota to play GM with us a little bit. So, Dakota, are you there? How are you doing? Yes, and uh, I have to correct you. I write for pretty much every single site out there, not just for <laughs> Bucks, but for everybody. It seems so. You're you're a lot like Ben in yeah, that case. Like yes. All right. I'm well, trying to get, I'm trying to get a a stint on a dog fancy, but it's not working out right now. So. <laughs> Let me ask you. So we've been talking a lot about Chris Middleton as a player. It's maybe a three and D guy, being the kind of guy that the Jazz need. Uh, do you think he could be that guy long term for the Utah Jazz? Um, I, as, as a Bucks fan, I unfortunately have to say yes. Okay. Um, I just, I just absolutely, uh, love this game. Like you said, he is a fantastic, uh, 3 and D guy. He was labeled as a 3 and D guy before he came to Milwaukee from that brand, Jennings trade. He wasn't really that good on defensive end in the first season, but he's really improved, uh, this season. And he's just an awesome, awesome, uh, role player. He's, you know, done terrific for Milwaukee since uh, Jabari Parker went down with injury. And uh, as far as Utah is concerned, I can definitely see him uh, fitting in next to uh, Gordon Hayward in the starting lineup. So now let me ask you about, because basically we were looking at a trade that traded both Trey Burke and Ennis Cantor for for the combination of Brandon Knight and Chris Middleton. And I believe the Jazz were giving up a a pick in that scenario as well. But is that is that the kind of deal that Milwaukee would be looking for if they were to give up someone like Brandon Knight as well as Chris Middleton? I um ugh. <laughs> that's that's tough for me, Andy. That's that's a really tough trade. Uh Brandon Knight has been excellent this season. And uh and so is Chris Middleton. You're basically asking me to uh, give up besides uh Giannis and Kumpo who I think it's untouchable. Uh, two of Milwaukee's most productive players this year, and you know why I like Trey Burke, why I like you know Ennis Cantor from a Bucks perspective. I'd have to say no. Now, my question that I was going to go to was 
do do you get the idea from your the people you talk to in the in the climate around there that any of these guys is even available in the first place? Do you I mean, Middleton, for example? You know, you were just talking about how nice he's been and how well he's played this year, and I think a lot of people have seen that. So if he's so good, why are they looking at potentially getting rid of him? Is it because of the restricted free agency thing and they're worried he's going to take some huge offer from somebody? Or is there something about him that the rest of the, the NBA maybe doesn't know? Or is it just a fact that they're too crowded at a position? Why, why would they be looking to get rid of him if he's been doing so well? I have no idea. Maybe the one reason is to say he kind of has a ridiculous stub first name. <laughs> K-H-R-I-S, but... I have no clue. Maybe it's because of their restricted agency, but you know, um, even though the Bucks didn't look good against uh, Utah a week or so ago, and they didn't look uh, good last night against LA until OJ Mayo and Brandon Knight absolutely, you know, uh, just came on fire from from uh, behind the three point line. But I think if I was uh, John Hammond, the GM of the Bucks, I would keep. Chris Milton on a team because, you know, it's kind of strange to say this, but the Bucks are going on a little bit of a playoff run right now. They have won four or five uh, straight games. And, you know, even though, you know, Chicago and Cleveland are clearly better teams, they're only a game and a half back from, I believe, uh, I believe it's Chicago for that uh, fifth seed. So, yeah, even though this Bucks team has had its struggles, and you really can't have any expectations going for the team on a game-by-game basis. Uh, to end my long answer, I would have to say no, because the Bucks are, in my opinion, making a run at the playoffs and maybe uh, getting out of the first round. Well, this Jazz fan is very jealous that your Bucks are in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we, hey, hey, if the Jazz are in the East, I think they would... They would give the seven seed. They absolutely would. Yeah, maybe even higher than that. Well, all right. Well, thanks again, Dakota, for joining us. We appreciate your input as a Milwaukee guy. Um, and, and as always, you can check out your work, especially some excellent work on the D-League signings that the Jazz have been making on Salt City Hoops. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Dakota. And you can uh, we can also follow Dakota on Twitter, as we know, we can follow all of us on Twitter. <laughs> Dakota underscore Schmidt with that. That's S C H M I D T for those of you who Indeed. are spelling challenge. And he uses the underscore like me, so I can appreciate it. And all right. Not yeah. enough people use the underscore. So it, it turns out if you write for a lot of blogs that you have to use the underscore in your uh-huh. Twitter name somewhere. Pretty much, yeah. Or NBA. You have to use the underscore or the, the, and the acronym yeah. NBA. So I, I think Dakota raises a good point there. Like, you know, we're really looking at this from a, from a jazz centric point of view. You know, the jazz are looking for for shooting they're looking for someone who can play defense they're looking for a young player and you know you kind of zoom in on these certain players but then you have to ask you know what's the reason for those guys to get rid of those players they mm-hmm. they have to be getting a lot in return and so you know even if the jazz are giving up Trey Burke Ennis Cantor and a protected first um you know maybe that's still not enough for Milwaukee to do that deal yeah, I, I think, and now I was kind of operating under the assumption. I think there have been rumors around that, despite their status, that they're very likely going to make the playoffs, and that they're kind of one of the up and comer teams trying to get better rather than trade for assets and picks type of thing. That I have heard that they've they're at least willing to entertain the idea of trading some of these types of players. Yeah, which is why we were bringing it up in the first place. Like you know, if the if the brass in Milwaukee had already come out and said we're not trading these guys, we're standing pat, then it would be a whole different conversation, which I don't think they've done. 
I think with Jason Kidd in his first year, maybe he has a couple guys that he's fond of or not fond of, and he may want to, you know, kind of tweak things to his liking, if you will. That's true. And so that's why I think these guys are one of the options that comes up is that they're the type of team that both has the assets the Jazz may want and has potentially the desire to move said assets because, you know, plenty of teams have stuff the Jazz might want, but very few of those teams would actually move that stuff for the stuff the Jazz are willing to send back. <laughs> so that, and I think that's kind of the biggest point of it right there. Yeah, no, and that's definitely the case. And so you, you start to realize just like how much you have to give up in, in value in order to make this Jazz team better. Cause there is... There is some question of fit with this Jazz roster, right? There's mm-hmm. probably not enough shooting. There's probably not enough defenders on the team, especially on the perimeter. Um, so you have to figure out how to make those pieces work. And, and maybe you take a downgrade in talent in order to make the fit an upgrade. I think potentially there's a, there's situations where you do that. By the way, give the people the phone number real quick in case they wanted to call. And we got like a few minutes left in this segment that if we if anybody had any good ideas, we'd be interested in hearing them. Of course... Tweet both of us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben underscore Dallas. Yeah, it's 877-353-0700. So, yeah, if, you, if you'd like to contribute your trade ideas or let us know what you think about any of them, uh, please feel free to call in. Uh, I, I mean, I, I do really think that it's it's harder than people think to make NBA trades. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, who that was, was that... You that was you last year who wrote the anthology of that of the the jazz deal with Golden State where they took on the yeah. th- that was your piece right I thought it was yours I knew it was you or Dan that uh, and that was so much work went into making that trade happen which was basically a salary dump like in it, it right. was a salary dump and it took so much but it was it was a multi week process yeah. to make this deal happen and that was actually Bob Myers the Golden State Warriors GM did a conference uh, did a, a a panel at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference um, basically explaining how that trade came about mm-hmm. and how GMs operate in the NBA. Hopefully a similar presentation happens like that as Salt City Hoops travels to Boston for the Sloan Sports Conference. Oh, yeah, Andy. Uh, that's another piece of news. Andy, gets to, <laughs> Andy is going to Sloan Conference again. This Is is this your third straight? Uh, or Three out of four. Three out of four, second in a row. It's great that we're going to have another Salt City Hoops presence there. It's, it's a really fun conference, honestly, and... The, I'm glad I get to watch at least my, I've subscribed to, I subscribe to their YouTube channel so yeah. I get to watch uh, I pay money for it actually did you know you can you pay money for uh-huh, that I it's do. like 40 bucks a year or something like that but it's well worth it to watch all the, the presentations that they have I'm wondering who's going to be the uh, the main basketball for the main the one main basketball panel this year I'm interested to see both who hosts it and who ends up talking yeah it it will be interesting I'm, I'm excited for it I mean it's it's one of the best events all year and and as a side note while they charge forty dollars all your Salt City Hoops content is for free it's that's very true Salt City Hoops content totally free and Andy will definitely be sending back some updates and things like that from Salt <laughs> yes right? I will you will definitely. yeah you better be cool so <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and take a break and do around the NBA on the other side there's so much to talk about so much happening in the NBA including this thirty five point uh, Cleveland lead over the Clippers right now. Uh, it's it's been a a blowout thus far in Cleveland, but we'll talk about it more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. As always, at this time of the Salt City Hoops show, we go around the NBA. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett on the other side. Um, lot to talk about, but first, let's do LOL Lakers. <laughs> My favorite part of the week is just making fun of how bad the Lakers are. They are the third worst team in the NBA with the third worst record. That's actually a little bit of a bummer because they get to keep their pick if it's not in the top five. So, rats. 
But regardless, they are still losing, and it's kind of fun for the time being. Um, this week, fun things happened. First of all, Byron Scott and Jason Kidd had their first coaching matchup. Jason Kidd is a rookie coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, and Byron Scott, the rookie coach of, of the Los Angeles Lakers, of course. Um, I didn't even when, see this. And so, when, yeah. So when Jason Kidd was um, playing with the New Jersey Nets, Byron Scott was his coach in you know, roughly 2004. Jason Kidd apparently went over Byron Scott's head, went to management and says, we need to fire this guy. So there's some bad blood between these two guys. And okay. when Byron Scott was asked about it, he said, quote unquote, Jason Kidd was kind of known as an a-hole. So <laughs> that's that's a <laughs> that's so um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Everything Byron Scott does at this he point said, is just really awesome. Quote unquote, he had a unique personality uh, and there was uh, he demanded a change on the bench. Quote unquote, when he asked, uh, sorry, when asked about his relationship with Kidd, it's like now Byron Scott responded cordial. And that's about as good as it's going to get. So <laughs> that's awesome. There's there's a lot of bad blood between those teams. Did they shake hands but after the game? I I presume so, but I don't know for sure. Huh. Um, Milwaukee did win, however. So shocker the, there. The battle of those two is has continued to be won by Kid. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate, him. I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in other news, Bovada released their NBA championship odds. They've actually completely taken the Lakers off of the board. So like casinos will no longer take. Take your money if you believe that the Lakers are going to win the NBA championship. Which that's sounds... a, that's the point where they say you have a problem, sir. You cannot bet on the Lakers to win the championship. Go home, spend your money, give it to your family. That's the point. Casinos that's, have said no. That sounds really silly to me because if you're a casino, your whole job is to take free money no, from people. That, and now if somebody they're... wants to actually give you money on that bet, that's just free money. See, no, not, you're just putting dumb people into debt is what you do when you take that But that's that all bet. casinos do anyway. <laughs> that's, that's their whole purpose. I, I just think it's hilarious that, yes, even casinos have decided that the Lakers are, are too bad to function. Oh, gosh. How many, do you know how many other teams they took off the board? Only three other teams, the Knicks, the Sixers, and the Timberwolves. Wow. The Jazz are still on the board. The Jazz that's are awesome. still on the board. Yes, you can bet for the Jazz to win the NBA championship, but the Lakers... Is this so not going to happen? You're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Indeed. What was all that one in a million talk? <laughs> um, the Clippers in Cleveland playing right now. Cleveland's won 11 in a row, and it looks like they're about to win 12, up 12 points against the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, wow, how'd they get it to 12? It, like <laughs> it is amazing. It was like, ago. yeah, it was a, a humongous advantage uh, recently. So. Cleveland winning 12 in a row. They're making their move in the Eastern Conference. Again, we've, we've talked about them as an up-and-down team, but they, again, may be the favorites in the East to, to get out of the East and make it to the NBA Finals, just given the level of talent that they have. I think it's really close between them and the Hawks at this point, and you know, there's a lot of people that still give a lot of credence to the idea of... Uh, the the when it's close between two teams, the team with the best player is generally the favorite, and mm -hmm. we know who the best player would be in that particular series. I really, at this point, it looks likely to me, especially with the way the few teams above them, which is now one less, they've come into, they've passed Chicago in the division and are now fourth. Right. Um, but then Washington and Toronto above them both have been really faltering lately, losing some weird games to some weird teams. Yeah, tonight I think Washington lost to Charlotte, for example. Oh, I didn't even see that. I was yeah, saying that without good. even seeing that. So wow, that I mean, that means that they're. I think they're now tied in the loss column with with Washington. Okay, so they're about to be third, and Toronto's not far off. Or no, maybe it's the other way around. But either way, they're coming really close. I think at this point, it looks like they're going to finish second, barring a bit a big collapse. 
And that means that they get to avoid Atlanta until the conference finals and that we might get a really awesome conference finals matchup. That would be a good matchup. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. And then everybody else behind them gets to start jostling for position and we get to see somebody do something ludicrous like last year when the Bulls tanked out of the fifth seed to get Miami in this – or. It was to avoid Miami, right? Correct. And then ended up getting blown away in that series, which was just like a really stupid idea yeah. to do. Yeah, it, it was. It was a tremendous backfire for the Heat. Or, yeah. sorry, for the Bulls last year. Yeah. So yeah, um, Cleveland has looked really good. They're approaching some. Legendary, what are they doing differently? I mean, it's first of all, Mozgov has helped them at least. They're not a good, def- a great defensive team, but they're moderately successful defensively, and they're scoring the ball at rates that, on for a full season, would be like set some records. Type so finally, thing. we're seeing the offense that we expected from this yeah. core of players. Yeah. LeBron needed those couple of weeks, I think, to to kind of get him his body back to where he needs to be, and he is he has been everywhere. By the way, I'm he's to me already up to within my top three MVP voting wow. um, because of how well he's even played. missing the games that he missed yeah even missing assuming that he doesn't miss any more if he okay. were to miss too many more then it did it would start to hurt his candidacy at that point but fair well so we and we talked about the atlanta hawks they got their winning streak to 19 before it ended uh this week against the new orleans pelicans of all teams uh they they struggled with anthony anthony davis's length but that being said when the nba came to announce their players of the month uh they chose the atlanta entire atlanta hawks starting five as their eastern conference players of the month because that team went 17 and 0 in January, that's an NBA record. No team's gone that has been that good in any month before in NBA history. Were the Heat not undefeated for at least one full month when they had that crazy? They were, but they game? didn't play 17 games. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you can make a case though that it is the most impressive month in NBA history, and maybe one of the most unexpected. Absolutely, they were. I mean, they were so great. And has that ever happened before? More than one player kind of being collectively no, selected. No, that is the... that is indeed an NBA record. Okay, so yeah, so very cool for the Hawks. They, uh, as we were mentioning the other day, probably the only time Damari Carroll's uh, winning a Player of the Month award anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah, it's unlikely. It's yeah, <laughs> interesting case there, but no, I mean, you know, there have been some questionable players of the weeks. Uh, Jordan Crawford won one once. He's no longer even in the NBA. I believe Gravis Vazquez did. You know, so there have been good one-off players of the weeks, but players of the month it takes a little bit more skill to be the best player in the nba over an entire calendar month yeah and james harden got it in the western conference by the way he's 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 deserved it Is, certainly he's still your number two mvp candidate i think i would st- right now if i had to go redo my rankings i think i'd go steph harden lebron would in that order would I, be my one two three i don't think you'd find many arguments there because those three have been terrific mm-hmm. steph especially with his 51 points last that was, night that was just incredible those oh man those guys are so good they're so much fun to watch and also the Jazz beat them last week but <laughs> it's true that's that's incredible in itself uh also in the Eastern Conference, Jacques Vaughn was fired as the coach of the Orlando Magic. Finally, after these rumors that have happened for weeks and weeks, the move was actually made today. I, I think it's a good move because they run some really questionable things. He hasn't been completely committed to the development. He's almost felt a little bit like Ty Corbin I was in that t- role. I was just going to make that exact comparison. Who, he, by the way, comes to Utah this Saturday. I'm so stoked that I get to be there and, and <laughs> potentially talk to him. I'm really excited about it. I really want to ask him a question that makes him look at me cold. like that's And just give me like a one-word no. answer. That's like my goal. I'm ben, just kidding. It's we're not trying really to goal. keep you with credentials. We're <laughs> trying to get you not kicked out of the arena. That was a joke. That, okay, that, that was a joke. No, um, the, the I thought the Vaughn thing, the way they did it, though, whether or not he's been a problem, which I, I think is clear at this point that he was, 
I think the way they did it was really kind of goofy and deserves some criticism. Yeah. You start leaking stuff about firing him a week early and then just kind of wait a week before you do it. Like, everyone kind of knew help it was anyone. a four. Yeah, it really doesn't. It doesn't help him with his future endeavors and things like that. It's... I don't see the point of it in letting all the rumors get out and letting everybody th- drag his name through the mud for a full week before you fire him. The like other it. thing is, if you're going to do that, then you have to at least start talking to other coaches. And yeah. from what's been reported, Orlando has yet to talk to its main coaching um, candidates, guys like Scott Skiles, Mark Jackson, kind of guys in that experienced head coaching tier that they're looking for. They're not looking for a first-time coach. And apparently they haven't even started that process yet, despite you know having apparently thought about firing him for months. That's silly. That, that makes you – it definitely raises questions as to what's going on in the front office over there. I think there's no question. Which is a bummer because I, I believe in what Rob Hannigan's doing generally. And, Drafting you know, wise, I, I think yeah. he's, he's a smart – GM, it just seems like there are a couple bad eggs in that organization that are are letting things leak. Yeah, definitely. And there's, you know, they've lost ten straight. Now they've looked, yeah, that's they've looked horrible in some of those games, like really, really bad in some of those games. It's, it's certainly not the best story over there. They were one of those teams that a few people thought, you know, if some of that talent kind of came together, Channing Fry came over this year, that they could challenge for the eight seed in a really weak East. And there, that is completely out that of the realm of happen. possibility at this point. So it's kind of too bad for them. But at the same time, they still do have that talent, and maybe, uh, maybe a change will right the ship a little bit. On the other side of the scoreboard, though, the maybe the most anticipated game of the season is coming up uh, tomorrow. The Golden State Warriors take on the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, your predictions as to a winner of that game? I think Golden State is going to win that game, actually. I do think Golden State is a slightly better team. And they're hot lately. They've they had a couple of cold games, including the one against Utah, and then they had that game last night, and they had the one before that, I think, as well. They're I think now this is not to criticize Atlanta in any way, but I I do I think Golden State is a little bit of a better team top to bottom, and I think that's fair. Really, is finding their groove at the moment. They lost those couple games that I think kind of gave them a kick in the butt, where they were you know we can't just come walk over everybody every night. And when that team is putting its full effort in, I think they're if not the best team in the league, right up there. And and I think they maybe just have a, a slightly higher gear than Atlanta has. And for a big Friday night game that I'm sure is nationally televised, or I hope it's nationally televised, it better be, uh, that I think they're going to get up for that kind of thing and come out really hard. Yeah, Warriors are 39-8, and eight, Hawks are 41-9. and nine. <sighs> Um, yeah, single-digit win- single losses at this point when was of the, the season. La- I wonder nice. when was the last time... To this late in the season, two teams with single-digit losses played in a game. I'm sure it's happened several times, but it's a it's always yeah, a, a spectacle. It's a spectacle when it does. Yeah, I, I I may favor the Hawks in that game because they are at home, um, and I do think the Warriors have been kind of sketchy defensively recently. We saw that against the Mavs in the first half of last night's game. Um, it, you know, it, it's going to be close, uh, but we'll we'll see. Uh, the line, by the way, favors Golden State by one and a half points. One, that sounds about right because you give the, the I mean, the, on a neutral location, they'd be favored by more, but you give Atlanta right. a little bit because they're the home team. Although home field advantage has been home court advantage, sorry, has been less in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Only fifty three percent of home court teams are winning this season compared to usually it's about sixty percent. Yeah, so. a lot of lot of bandying about that about what some of the reasons behind it might be. That's for another time, though. Yeah, Hassan Whiteside, on the other hand, uh, is doing spectacularly in a Miami Heat uniform. While the Heat are, have been struggling without. Dwayne Wade, he's putting up kind of ridiculous numbers. Last night, he put up 24 points, 20 rebounds in his game. I I mean, he's doing things. He had that triple-double last week. First of all, question number one, who's better, Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside? I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) Okay, so question number one, let's go. If if Hassan Whiteside 
can remain as good or moderately close to as good as he's been in these lad this last month and a half or so consistently, then Whiteside is better. But that's a big question, and Rudy's been doing it for a little bit longer. Yeah, and there, I think there's a little more concrete proof that this is who Rudy is. And there's, you know, Whiteside. There's a reason why this guy, or there, I assume at least that there's a reason why this guy has bounced around so many teams as he has. I mean, he's been up and down from the D League and China and Lebanon, and he's been everywhere. And he's only 25. And when I see something like that, my just instinctively, you have to think it's kind of not possible that all these different talent evaluators all screwed up in, yeah, the, in the same way, you it, know, like there's reminds me a lot of the Jeremy Lin situation mm-hmm. in yep. that, you know, guy comes out of nowhere, is bounced out of the league or bounced in and out of the league. And then all of a sudden gets his chance and then plays extremely well. Now that being said, Hassan Whiteside's sample size is already much bigger than Jeremy Lin's was. It's true. But and... I, I mean, you just have to wonder about a 25 year old guy making the leap to where he's been playing at it so quickly. Yeah, I, I'm really. I, he's one of those cases where it's hard to know what to think because you watch him play and you think, yeah, these guys all screwed up. Like they all just missed an, a really insane talent here. But then you wonder, was there some some mental thing? Is there some? It, it, you know, is he a coach killer after a certain period? Is he? A, you know, something like that. I feel like there has to be something like that because you just you, skills like this don't just grow on trees and they don't just develop a guy when he's 25. That you have these skills when you're younger. You have the seven foot eight wingspan that he has or seven seven or whatever when you're younger that didn't just happen recently like i i feel like there's got to be something behind it but i mean he's been a revelation to watch recently he has been and i think it's kind of funny that despite having a all-star caliber center fall out of the sky essentially the miami heat are still four and six in their last 10 uh, lost three in a row. Amazingly, so, sorry, lost two in a row. Amazingly, but. losing the best player in the league tends to have an effect on you, as, as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somehow the Heat... I, I do think that the Heat have fallen below expectations in the East. A little bit, yeah, and Wade being in and out of the lineup doesn't help. No, it does not. All right, well, let's go ahead and take our final break, but on the other side, we're going to talk more jazz basketball and actually some WNBA, believe it or not, but uh, tune in for that. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.